The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. We meet regularly to encourage ourselves in the presence of God and to learn how to walk with God from his holy word. I've said frequently in the past that these podcasts are intended to help Christians deepen their walk with God. And I'm convinced that this is a necessary component for being a fruitful, practicing Christian, as well as an effective witness for our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can add to that that we are helped to become effective human beings. And uh, as a child of God, we can grow in our resourcefulness. And uh, I want to remind you that there are no shortcuts to a life of devotion. It is, in fact, a narrow way, a difficult path, a glorious path, but it is not without challenge. And that's what we're going to learn about today. And that is the subject of missed opportunities, missed opportunities. This is the the Christian life's pain point, missed opportunities. Now, keep in mind that my objective is not to highlight the negatives or the challenges to uh, living a holy life. Uh, However, it is necessary to identify potential pitfalls in the narrow way. And one of them is missed opportunities. The second is closely related, misapplied learnings. So there are opportunities that seem to slip through our fingers, and then the lessons that we've learned that we fail to continue to apply them as we move along in this pathway. Now, my preference, personally, is to use uh, biblical examples of men or women uh, because God, the Spirit, chose these examples uh, as viable proofs and also the best examples of those who have successfully walked with God and conversely, the most outstanding examples of those who have failed and why they failed. So the key to our learning is going to be asking the question, why? Why? Okay, why they succeeded? Why they failed? What were the components that contributed to their failure? 
or to their success? And what pitfalls must we avoid? That's our goal in today's podcast. Trials are just a necessary component of the Christian life, and and Peter, in his first letter to the Christians that are scattered throughout Asia, uh, took the time to um, outline for us and add detail about trials in the Christian life. Now, one of the phenomenons of, uh, of this Christian life is trials that seem to repeat themselves. They repeat themselves. You know, I'm sure you and I uh, have had circumstances in which we, we, when we evaluate it, it makes us say the following. Why does this always happen to me? Okay, have you ever found yourself saying that? Why does this always happen to me? And there's a, a repetitive nature, a quality to some of the difficulties and challenges that we encounter. Now, there are a variety of reasons that circumstances appear to become more difficult or at least repetitive to the point of being one of those deja vu experiences. We have Joseph's example in that he was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, maligned unjustly, falsely imprisoned, and ultimately forgotten for a period of about two years. Clearly, that is not a repetitive circumstance, but rather a series of unfortunate dissimilar events that were the evident hand of God moving in the life of his faithful man and ultimately working out a mysterious plan. And of course, we have the the benefit and advantage of seeing that because we can open the word of God and sort of look at the, the entire panorama of Joseph's life and see God working. And throughout uh, this experience, we see that Joseph remained faithful to God in his heart, even though he was tested by severe trials. He stood true to the object of his faith, which was God and God's trustworthiness. And in that series of trials, It is clear to us as spectators that Joseph's faith was fixed in God. Albeit, he did not understand the connection between uh, these events, but he remained steadfast in his faith. Similarly for us, although we do not understand perhaps the current trial or its purpose, it does not change the nature and the character of God and his ways. That's a a fixed point. That's static. God, his character, his ways remain unchanged while we encounter challenge. Now, in our previous podcasts, we were thinking about King Asa's success 
in his application of faith. And in that success, he becomes the model for the believer in in the way that he approached the matter of Zira, the Ethiopian, and his million-man army. This victory becomes for you and me the template for a Christian walking with God. For example, Asa exemplified the following. He had a high view of the Godhead, and he stated it when he said, for example, that it doesn't matter to you whether we are many or few when it comes to the matter of you delivering us. He also indicated that we are your people. We are here in your name. So his knowledge of the covenant relationship was clearly evident. He also understood God's ways, which was by virtue of who he is and his covenant relationship, he is committed to delivering his people. And ultimately, his confidence in God's intervention, because he stated it clearly when he said, help us, we are calling on you. Now, from that victory over the Ethiopians, 26 years elapsed, 26 years of peace, and we arrive at Second Chronicles 16. God gave an extended time of peace, and at the end of this time of peace comes the moment of faith's testing. In every test of faith, there are valuable lessons to be applied and warnings that must be heeded so that the Christian avoids the pitfalls which spring from repeated trials. Now, many times repetition, that is repetition of a trial, implies that there are or there might be one important principle that we need to master in our walk with God. Just one. And we're going to see that in in, uh, uh, Asa's uh, experience. But I want to give you the salient points for this narrative. King Baasha of Israel came against Asa. Asa brought out the silver and the gold from Jehovah's Uh, temple and from the king's house. And essentially, he paid the Syrian king to break his alliance with uh, uh, King Baasha and to join league with him. So essentially, he's buying off Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, to join forces with Asa and to, in a sense, outnumber or dissuade King Baasha, from his campaign against Judah and Benjamin. That's as simple as it comes. And many would say, well, that's the way it's done in our culture or in our times or in biblical times. But remember, we are talking about a human being learning to walk with God. This is, this is a totally new challenge. And you won't find a lot of material about this except 
as we find in the Holy Scriptures. So let's talk about missed opportunity. The missed opportunity. Let's jump right into it. What constitutes a missed opportunity? And when we look at 2 Chronicles, the first uh, chapter 16, the first six verses, we see <laughs> that this is a missed opportunity. There was there's there's failure to seize an opportunity. And these will always be present. These, these reasons why we miss opportunities, and there are only five of them. First of all, Jehovah's assistance was not called upon. Asa did not cry out to Jehovah as he did the first time around. And this calling upon God is the expression of the believer's need for divine intervention. How do we know? It's a simple practice called prayer. <laughs> prayer. In Philippians 4 and 6, uh, Paul exhorted the Christians in Philippi to be careful, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, etc., let your requests be made known. Secondly, Asa did not leverage the covenant relationship that God has and had with his people. And I wanted to make this a little clearer. When we mention the word covenant, it is a binding agreement. In the culture at that time, it was a legal agreement. And this agreement, this covenant, is Jehovah's legal basis for guaranteeing a response to his people's need. And now you say, well, Christian, what is our uh, covenant relationship? What is, our, what is God's legal basis for responding to us? Well, for us, it is Calvary's sacrifice. And we find that, for example, in Romans 8. And just to, to, to highlight a couple of verses in the 10th and the 11th verse, Paul could write, actually in the, the chapter 6, he takes time to show that when Christ was crucified, we were crucified with him. We were included in that great transaction. But he goes on to say in chapter 8, For in that he, that is the Lord Jesus, has died, he's died to sin once for all. He has no more connection with sin. Likewise, he goes on to say, Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And here it is, in Christ Jesus. The believer, the person, the sinner who has turned to the Lord Jesus as his Savior and claimed the shed blood as his only means for the, 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 the remission of his or her sins has entered into a, a legal binding covenant with God that not only has Christ died for my sins, but I have been included in that death. I have been crucified with Christ. Thirdly, Asa's actions clearly indicate that his dependence was upon Ben-Hadad of Syria. 
And this is a clear indication, sadly so, that faith's mooring, the thing that, that faith's anchor was, was, was hooked on, originally it was in Jehovah's faithfulness. But it was dislodged and placed on Ben-Hadad. And this just this is a clear picture for us as to the fleshly mind. You know, Paul spent quite a bit of time in chapter 8 talking about the mind of the flesh and the mind of the spirit. And he even said in chapter 8, uh, I think it was the sixth verse of Romans, that the mind of the flesh is death. The mind of the flesh is enmity against God. The mind of the flesh is at war with God. It cannot please God. And so we have this king who was walking by faith 26 years before, and then 26 years later, when the same or very similar trial came, that is an enemy against his uh, kingdom, he resorted to fleshly tactics. Fourthly, the currency, the currency that Asa utilized was gold and silver, tangible things, and not the divinely provided catalysts that God has given. It's a clear indication that money replaced the promises of God, money. This became Asa's means. No more a walk with God. For example, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 4, Peter could write that unto us are given great and, uh, and precious promises, rare promises, that by these promises you might become partakers of the divine nature. The promises of God are the very thing, the, the, the currency with which we have guaranteed that God will work on the behalf of his people because he is faithful to his promises. He's entered into a legal agreement when Christ was crucified and we have been joined to him. We are now in Christ. And we take full advantage of that opportunity by calling on God for his assistance. And fifth and last, he forgot that his army was the actual physical representation of the presence of God on the earth. This points to the fact that they had an abiding relationship with Jehovah. But that abiding relationship, 26 years later, ceased. You and I, my dear friends, also have an abiding relationship. Our Lord Jesus, before his suffering, uh, within about a, a, a day or, or less, uh, taught his disciples in John 15, uh, when he uh, told them of that great relational truth concerning our connection with him and he with us, when he said, I am am the vine. You are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, 
bears much fruit. Christ lives in me. I live in him. When I go to work tomorrow morning, they will see Christian Javois. But in truth and in fact, it is Christ in me, using me as his medium to mingle in a physical world. I have been crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. Christ is in this place, as it were, making a recording. Christ will be going to church for some of you and singing the songs of Zion. Christ will be ministering to his people, giving an encouraging word, drying a tear, perhaps serving some food or sharing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is Christ in us, Christ in me, Christ in you. And you and I have become the physical representation of the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth. People see us, but Christ has to live in me as me. Those five things, those are the reasons why we miss taking advantage of the opportunities that a trial may simply present. Calling upon God, the expression of our faith, the expression of our need is evidenced in prayer. The covenant relationship, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, not only for sins, but you and I were included in that great transaction. Paul could state the same thing as he wrote to the church at Galatia. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. A covenant relationship. The dependence that we have on him, faith's mooring to his presence, his person, who he is. We must walk, as it were, in the Spirit, evidencing our dependence not on people, but on God himself. The promises of God, the means by which God has provided us that we may be participants of, fellowshippers of, his divine nature. A man can know, or a woman, that they are walking with God. It's not just a matter of something we practice on Sunday. It is our life practice. And fifth, to remain in that abiding relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And so time, 26 years has elapsed. Time acts against us. Time uh, presents the risk of complacency. We become comfortable in times of peace, whereas, conversely, trial and testing keeps our faith and expectancy sharp and lively. The absence of trial, and I want to make a distinction. When I refer to trials, I'm not talking about the problems that we have run into because we have stepped out of the will of God. Oh, not those. Not those circumstances in which we wanted our way, and then when we got our way, the circumstance, as it were, not only blew up, <laughs> but became thorny and prickly and sticky, and we, we can't extricate ourselves from it. Not something that has developed because of our disobedience, 
but what has occurred while we were walking with God in obedience. The absence of trial fosters spiritual laziness. Peter, when writing to the Christians scattered throughout Asia, he said in his first letter, uh, the 6th to 8th verse of chapter 1, he says, the trial of your faith, that's the way he termed it, the trial of your faith is necessary for the moment we are put to grief by various trials that the proving of our faith, which is much more precious than gold. Peter was saying you, your, your faith is being tested, it's being proven, it's being purified through difficulties. But that process validates that when those impurities, those hindrances are removed, we have a clear and open view and channel of the nature and purpose and working of God. There are no obstructions. Peter goes on to say that it's necessary, just as fire purges impurities from gold, trial purges the impurities from faith's exercise. The Christian's faith being tested in the midst of trial is a most precious process from God's perspective. Now, the one factor that counted against Asa, as I mentioned before, was the passage of time. One life lesson that you and I need to put in place is to ask ourselves, what have I learned about walking with God from the previous trial? And I want to say, it's a great exercise to sit down and, and to, you know, put it, in, put it on paper, if you will. I know we don't use paper, hardly use paper nowadays because we, we can type notes on our phones or we can just get our laptops. But the point is, we need to document what these learnings are. Carefully document them because whatever we learn from the previous trial are the, is the very stuff that will be used in preparation for the next trial. And I want to say that the Christian life is more than just a walk of consistency. Or I should, to, to rephrase that, the Christian life is more of a walk of consistency than a walk of new discoveries. People want new discoveries. They want something new, something fresh in terms of learning about God and their study of the scriptures and so forth. But it has more to do with being consistent. It's a process of consistently applying the lessons that were learned and have been learned and becoming proficient in these lessons of faith. And you say to me, well, what are those lessons that I should have learned in my previous trial? And those lessons are, one, relying on the living God. And we, we mentioned it earlier. <laughs> the very negatives are now the positives. Relying, a reliance on the living God. Secondly, 
a reliance on the promises of God, the covenant agreement. Thirdly, using the the currency of faith. Faith that we are looking to God with singleness of heart. And the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God using the Word of God in my hands and hearts and lips to wage war against the forces of darkness, whether they be in the spiritual form or in the flesh or even in the world. A reliance on God, a reliance on His promises, an exercise of faith, and walking in an abiding relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Asa walked by sight. 26 years later. And and when we walk by sight, it is analogous to trusting tangible, transient things in order to effect what we think is the will of God. Trusting in tangible, transient things, people, objects, processes, in order to put into effect what we think is the will of God, we run the risk of truly missing what God intended to use us to effect on earth. God has a purpose for us. God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for my life. He wants to effect, uh, effectively use us to further his kingdom, to further his interests. And albeit, walking by faith is not an easy task. Now, there are many who speak of it, but few who who really understand the how of it. To patiently trust an, uh, an invisible being who possesses limitless power, limitless holiness, limitless goodness, and all the attributes that we can mention, all held in limitlessness, and trusting this being to guide our footsteps Throughout life, in dealing with the enemy, the world, the flesh, the devil, this process is a slow, steady learning experience. And when the lesson is learned, it must be methodically and repeatedly applied. It must be done All the time. When we're doing battle against an unseen enemy, that is, the devil himself, or living within the constraints of a fallen cosmos, the world, or resisting our evil inclinations, the flesh, we must steadily be walking in dependence upon God in a slow, steady way. So here is the first major takeaway to all that has been said thus far. Our resistance to this evil trifecta, the world, the flesh, the devil, is done while simultaneously deepening our conviction, our faith, our practice of walking with God so that we will know one thing. And that is, I am in the will of God. 
That's it. Simply put, simply put, our resistance to this evil triunity, if you will, <laughs> of the world, the flesh, the devil, our resistance is done simultaneously while deepening our practice, our conviction, our faith, our walk with God in order to determine one key fact, and that is, I am in the will of God. This is what Asa failed to continue to do. King Asa was addressed by the seer, whose name was Hanani, and we find this in verses uh, 7 to 10. And I'm just recapping briefly. But Hanani's message was simply four things. He says, because you relied on the king of Syria and not on Jehovah, the Syrian army escaped. What do we have? The will of God was not effected. It was not put in place. Number two, you forgot the lesson of the victory against the Ethiopians when you were outnumbered. You relied on Jehovah then, and they were delivered into your hands. We find this in verse 8. Number three, you forgot that God is, and this is so critical, searching the earth for anyone and everyone who is looking to him solely and with a single heart that he might show his power on their behalf. Verse 9. And fourthly, the net result of walking by sight results in a recurrence of the same trial until the lesson is learned. And ultimately, if not learned, results in God's judgment. And we find that in verse 9. Four things, four key elements of Hanani's rebuke of this man who was walking by faith and after 26 years ceased the process. He relied on the king of Syria, therefore the will of God was not done. The Syrian king escaped when God wanted to capture the Syrian king and his army. Secondly, he forgot the lessons of the victory that he had over the Ethiopians. He was outnumbered, but he relied on Jehovah and was victorious. Thirdly, he forgot the one learning fact about God. And sometimes, my friends, it always boils down to one fact. God is searching the earth for those whose hearts are turned to him singly and to him alone. He wants to show himself strong on that person's behalf. I want to be that person. I hope you do. Too. And his failure resulted in the fact that he would now have wars for the rest of his reign. <laughs> that was the judgment. There are consequences, my friends. When we walk in flesh, <laughs> there are consequences. This is a very serious matter. And so here is the second major takeaway. And that is this. When I walk by sight, I am insulting the majesty on high. I am declaring by my actions that God is insufficient to meet the need and the promises of his presence and deliverance are of none effect. Again, when I walk by sight, 
I have insulted the majesty of God on high because I'm declaring by my actions when I walk by flesh that God is insufficient to meet my need and his promises, his presence, and his, 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 his deliverance are made of none effect. Can a man nullify God? They sure can. <laughs> Just walk in the flesh in unbelief. I am declaring in essence that God is a liar. It is an insult to the living God. And so he petitioned Ben-Hadad and disregarded the lessons of faith that he had learned 26 years before when he was walking in a covenant relationship with God. And so 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. This was the lesson, the summary of what Asa should have gleaned from the experience in defeating Zira the Ethiopian. The life of faith, the walk of faith, necessitates that we capture what the experience is teaching us about the nature of God, the ways of God, the person of God. Asa missed it. And this second opportunity was the chance to solidify the learning about his walk with God. Here it is, my friends. The life lesson for you and me is that God has prepared himself to step into the arena of your life and mine or any disciple into our life, into our circumstance. God values revealing himself and his faithfulness to that disciple, to that child of God. God values the covenant relationship he has with us, his people, which obligates him to respond on our behalf for his glory. All that he is, his attributes, his being, everything we can conceive of God that comprises who he is, and yet he's more than that. But these attributes are learned by us, his people, as we walk with him. It becomes clearer to us who he is by the very insertion of his person in our life circumstance. This is a mouthful. But the lesson is, again, that God is preparing himself and has prepared himself to step into the arena of my life and yours. And he values this, the fact that he reveals himself to us, his faithfulness to us. He values the covenant relationship he has with us. And he wants to respond to us for his own glory. All that he is, all his attributes, everything that we can learn about God, he's always going to be more than that. But these attributes are learned by us as we learn to walk with him. And so the key to a successful faith walk is, whatever our manner of life is, at this very moment... However, we have lived and maintained up until the present time that we had our last clear, bona fide answer to prayer. This must be the baseline going forward. And I want to say this again, because this could be a little confusing for some folks. The last time you got a clear, 
bonafide, evident answer to prayer. Ask yourself, how was I living up until I got that answer? I was probably living holy, clean, with the right attitude, taking time to be with God, walking with God, shining as a light in a dark place with, within my social circle, being salt, as it were. That life must be maintained from the time that prayer was answered up until this current trial, whatever it is. The heart's disposition, my perspective of God, my devotion towards him, all of it, all of it must be maintained up and through the next trial. That becomes our baseline. What happened in Asa's life is that as 26 years passed, he slowed the pace, he cooled his passion for God. And during that time frame, between the last trial and the next one, if we are already in the next one, is that we must continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do not diminish it. We don't diminish our learnings from the last answer to prayer. The net result is we must be in a continuous state of growth in the knowledge of God and our walk with him. Critical point of learning. This is very critical. When a spiritual opportunity comes to us, it's a moment designed in our lives to learn valuable principles about God and his ways. It becomes a stepping stone for greater growth, greater blessing, and a deepening of one's walk with God. For example, let's take for example 1 Samuel 13. We are given the narrative about King Saul. And he took it upon himself to perform the offerings to Jehovah, which was Samuel's responsibility, you might recall. Saul reasoned to himself that because the people were scattering from him, <laughs> now, he didn't say it, but he should disregard the spiritual for the practical. And the spiritual should have been, I'll wait until Samuel comes, no matter what, because he has access to God. But he didn't do that. He chose the practical. I'm going to offer it myself. When he saw, for example, that Samuel was late in coming, what did he do? He discarded the spiritual for the practical. And when he saw that the Philistines were assembled against him, what did he do? He discarded the spiritual for the practical. And he feared that the, the uh, Philistines might uh, perform a preemptive attack on Israel on Gilgal. And what did he do? He discarded the spiritual for the practical. And so, the scriptures tell us, tells us, he forced himself, this is what he told uh, Samuel, he forced himself and offered the burnt offering. He discarded the spiritual for the practical. This was the practical right here. He forced himself and offered the burnt offering. And here is his turning point. Samuel said, you have done foolishly. Which is exactly what Hanani said to Asa. You have done foolishly. Same word, same translation used in both circumstances. You have not kept, this is what Samuel went on to say to Saul. You've not kept the commandment of Jehovah. Your kingdom will not be established because of this foolish act. Jehovah sought a man after his own heart, which was David. 
and appointed him ruler over his people. Saul had the prior circumstances. If you look at Saul's beginnings, he had circumstances when he saw that God was always on time. He doesn't always explain his ways, but he's always on time. And he keeps his word. He will deliver. And like Asa, Saul neglected to apply the lessons he had learned previously, which resulted in him losing the kingdom. King Asa, having been rebuked by the seer, was told, quote, Henceforth, you will have wars. My friends, there are consequences to us when we walk in the flesh. Don't kid yourself. It's not just a, a mind thing. It has physical, enduring consequences. And so the spirit of God's perspective is to forget God is foolish. To forget God and walk in the flesh, walk by sight, is foolish. It's, it's, it's crazy. You can't do that. <laughs> it's a grave error that causes us to lose much blessing and opportunities for spiritual growth. It's as simple as turning the mind and heart to God right where we are in the circumstance in that very moment. To forget the lessons of past victories is also foolish because embedded in those learnings are the stepping stones to the next victory over the world or the flesh or the devil through the power of the Spirit of God. And so we cannot take for granted why God has allowed us to go through previous trials. But from them, we learn the lessons for the current and future trials. To forget the odds that were against us in the last trial and how God delivered us, that too is foolish. Because the Spirit of God is displaying that he is not dependent upon us, our numbers, our strength, our wisdom, or any human resource in order to deliver us. And lastly, to rob God of his glory and honor by our unbelief is foolish. It's a clear indicator that I'm in need of growing in my understanding and experience of walking with God. In essence, I'm still a baby. I'm still a baby. Might have been a Christian for many years, but I'm still a baby. And so Saul, like Asa, had wars throughout his reign, 1 Samuel 14, 52. And not too long after that, we have the circumstance of Goliath, which was David's opportunity to begin his lessons of faith. So too, King Asa, his reaction towards the seer was that of an angry response. He hated the message, and ultimately, it was a rebuke by God through the seer. And rather than repenting, he retaliated. And so the consequence, the last four years of King Asa's reign were painful, Rather than repenting and acknowledging God, acknowledging before God that he had not learned the lessons that he should have learned and wanted a new opportunity to grow, he dealt harshly with God's people and God's messenger. And three years later, God struck him with a disease in his feet, and the testimony of the Spirit is that in his extremity, he did not seek Jehovah. A lot of people become angry with God because our life circumstances have not evolved as we anticipated. And what was needful for us was to look at the way we have been living and ask some important questions. For example, have I what have I learned about God and his ways from my last answer to prayer and my last deliverance? And my friends, I want you to write these, down, write these learnings in great detail. 
Secondly, am I currently applying the same principles in my current walk and experience as I did from my previous trial? Do I have a biblical basis for what I believe about the nature and ways of God? For example, are there specific promises that are applicable to my circumstance? Or is there a circumstance or biblical character whose experience mirrors mine? So that I might extract a greater understanding of God and his ways. And lastly, have I maintained a holy life? Have I maintained a holy life? Am I living clean before God? So I ask, lastly, why does God give us time? Well, God gives us time. (laughs) I should say, God allowed a trial, for example, to this king, who started out very well and ended poorly. And the last four years were an evidence of the grace of God to give him time to turn back to God, to repent. And repentance doesn't mean that a wanderer or a sinner turns to God for deliverance from sin's consequences, but it also means for the disciple to change his or her mindset with respect to their walk with God and realign themselves with the will of God. Asa was given time to turn. He had time to to prepare his sepulcher. This means he knew his end was coming. Did he turn? Did he entreat God for forgiveness? Nope. He died in pain because of his disease. Secondly, he had opportunity to embrace correction. Many of us don't don't receive correction with humility. We challenge it. We justify our poor decision-making. This king never turned. He never turned. And he was loved by his people. His life mattered to others. I think this is the sad statement about his life. While we are walking with God, our life is having an an impact on others. It's vital that we continue this walk with God because the fruit of our lives becomes a blessing to those around us, even though we may not even see it with our eyes. And the last commentary about King Asa's life is that the people made a very great burning for him. They honored him because he mattered. Oh, my dear friends, my dear friends. As we endeavor to walk with God, as we always say, beside still waters, not only is it an individual endeavor, but it has lifelong and people-impacting benefits. We might not see how far our influence has gone, but it behooves us, based on the testimony of Scripture, to walk with God, to deepen our devotion, May our lives bear fruit, not only to the glory of God, but for the benefit of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Besides the Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Besides the Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.